Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now, here's today's message. Would you open up your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 12? We're going to read verses 1 through 19 in just a moment. But um, I, we're, we're going to just continue what we've been doing since the beginning of, of September, uh, talking about firm foundations as a church. What are the foundations of our church? What are foundational things in our church community? And uh, today, I want to talk to you about what it means for us as a church to be prayer-driven. We've talked about being Christ-centered. This is the first uh, cornerstone of who we are as a church. And then we talked about what does it mean to be discipleship motivated. And last week we talked about being spirit compelled as a church community. And now we want to talk about uh, being prayer driven. Prayer driven. And I just want to ask this question as we start talking about prayer. Uh, and unfiltered responses are always best for these kinds of things when I, when I throw this question out. I really want to hear from you. Uh, what do you think of when you hear the word prayer? Thoughts, anyone? What do you think of when you hear the word prayer? We can, we can interact, by the way. If you're new here, I like, I like feedback. I like you to come at me a little bit, and you can interact. My, my uh, friends of mine, especially in the, in the black church community, they, they'll have people in their church just stand up and be like, that's not right, pastor. No, you said that wrong. And they actually will be corrected and go back. So we can dialogue a little, go back and forth. You don't have to be afraid to speak. Two-way communication with God. What else? conversation with the Lord. What else do you think of when you hear the word prayer? Thanksgiving. Love. Praying for others. How do you imagine prayer as it relates to your daily life? Answer that question for me. Ongoing and constant. What else? Protection and guidance. Not enough. Now we're starting to get a little real here. I like it. I like it. Strength. What else? Sometimes I forget. I love that answer. Who relates to that? Sometimes I forget. A lot of hands. A lot of hands. This is a real common experience. What else? Okay, yeah. What else? Asking more than listening. Ooh. One or two more. What do you think of when you think about prayer and how it relates to your actual lived reality? Forgiveness. What was that again? In sync or alignment. Good. Yeah, so it sounds like when we hear the word prayer, we've got a lot of positive associations with it. Forgiveness, love, I'm in sync with God. I'm talking about, but then we also have some things about it that as positive as we think of prayer, we also go, I forget. I forget to pray. Even though it's like so amazing and we think so highly about prayer, 
our response a lot of times is, oh yeah, prayer. You know what I'm talking about? I feel that too. I, I find that I sometimes, when I'm thinking about needing to pray, I find myself saying things like, you know, when it slows down a little, then I'll have more time to pray. Anyone ever feel that one or say some version of that to themselves? Yeah, I say that one. Or like, you know, let me just get past this crazy whatever, and then I'll be able to pray. I say that, like, all, I just was saying that yesterday. I, we, had, we had kind of a crazy day yesterday. And, and I was just like, ah, oh, man, you know, later I should be able to pray. Or like, I, let me just do this first. And then I'll be able to pray. Even though we're like, man, prayer's amazing. I feel the love of God and his forgiveness and his peace. We often default to forgetting. And I think that's because we believe sometimes that prayer can only happen correctly when we're in this. I'm going to use this very non-Christian word because I think it'll get the point across. We're expecting like, if I'm going to pray, I have to be in like this zen peaceful state in order for it to be good and effective. Anyone ever feel like that? Okay, everything's calm, everything's just right, and now I'll pray. But in reality, prayer is best in the midst of chaos and tension. Prayer is the best thing you could do when it's the worst possible idea. When you're like, This is the last thing that practically makes sense to do. It is probably the first thing that you should posture yourself to do. Prayer is made for tension. It's made for tension. It's made for conflict. And when you find yourself trying to pray outside of the context of conflicts and challenges in your life, your prayer life is a little like, That's a theological term. (laughs) Prayer doesn't come easy, though, does it? Right? Like, it's too busy. This is too crazy. I got to get the kids to sleep. I got this. I got this project due for work. I've got this thing going on. I've got all of these people clamoring for my time and attention. It's really hard. It's too chaotic. Maybe when things slow down. I can do it. But let me tell you, if that, if that it resonates with you, if you're like, yeah, that's me. That's too crazy. Once it slows down, I'll be good. If that resonates with you, I want to just give you some good news this morning. You are the perfect candidate to be an incredible person of prayer. You are the perfect candidate because God is not interested in a prayer life where we're like, everything's just great. God wants to get in the nitty gritty of what's happening in your life, the tension, the chaos, the conflicts, the problems, because God actually wants to answer the challenges that you're in the midst of right in that moment. God wants to answer the challenging parenting problems. He wants to answer the challenging family problems. He wants to answer the challenging problems in your neighborhood, in your society, in your finances. Like, he wants to answer these hard questions that, like, prayer does not seem very practical for this situation. But we get to participate in the midst of the tension, in the midst of the chaos. God wants us to participate in his kingdom through prayer, through prayer. Being prayer-driven 
being a prayer-driven people does not mean we're holier than thou. It does not mean we have a pious existence. It doesn't mean that you have it all figured out. As a matter of fact, prayer means you do not have it figured out. It's not at odds with the tension and the struggle in your life. It is actually exactly what you need to be dropped into the middle of those challenges. So this is my definition of being prayer-driven, and we're going to unpack this in a moment in Acts chapter 12. The definition uh, that I want to use for this morning is this. Being a prayer-driven person is, is one that does not seek their own solutions, but in community and constant dependency seeks after Jesus and his kingdom solutions. That's the the definition I want to use of being prayer-driven. One that does not seek their own solutions, but in community and constant dependency seeks after Jesus and his kingdom solutions. So let's read Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 19, just to get an example of how the church embodied being prayer-driven. Let's read this. Verse 1, it says, About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. And he had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. And when Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. And then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. That seems very excessive. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. And the night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep. He was fastened with two chains between two soldiers, and others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly, there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him, that's nice, and said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time, he thought he was, it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. And they passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street. And then the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. And when he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door and the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter's standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking, and when they finally opened and saw him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to be quiet and told them how the Lord had let him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers, this is a different James, uh, what happened, he said. And then he went to another place. 
And at dawn, there was a great commotion among the soldiers about what had happened to Peter. Herod Agrippa ordered a thorough search for him. When he couldn't be found, Herod interrogated the guards and sentenced them to death. Afterward, Herod left to Judea to stay in Caesarea for a while. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and be present. We ask that you would come and teach us your ways. Teach us how to pray, just as the disciples asked you, Jesus. Lord, would you teach us to pray this morning? Give us a vision and an imagination for what it can look like for us to be a prayer-driven church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this is an incredible story, kind of amazing. Peter escapes from prison. This persecution breaks out. His really dear friend that he's known probably his entire life, actually, James, the brother of John, is killed. Herod gets a kick out of this. He sees people getting a kick out of this. He arrests Peter, and he's going to put him on a show trial before he probably executes him, too. And I love this. The church prays. And, and, and Peter's release, God hears their prayer. He goes to where they're praying and they don't even believe him. They don't even believe that their prayers were really effective. And I think that's, that's pretty much what it feels like sometimes when we're praying in the midst of our tension and our chaos and our struggle. Like, is this even doing anything? You ever have that feeling of when you pray, it's like your words just kind of bounce off the ceiling and come back down? They're not really going anywhere. I, I feel that struggle a lot. But, but what I want us to see here is an imagination and a vision for what it could look like to be prayer-driven as a church, to be people that are not seeking our own solutions, but in community we're living in this constant dependency as we seek after Jesus and his kingdom solutions. And here, if there was a moment to do something practical, if there was a moment to do anything, this was the moment. All right, we're being persecuted again because this wasn't the first time that the church was being persecuted in Acts. There's one of two practical solutions. One, we could try and bust Peter out of prison, but you know, that probably wouldn't go very well. So you know what we should do? We should run. That's actually what we should do because we're next. And every, every man and woman and child for themselves, let's go. But instead of this very practical human solution or trying to find another way, Prayer became a posture for seeking kingdom partnership instead of a human solution. I love this. While Peter was in prison, the church prayed in verse 5. Peter is in prison, stuck there in a human system, a human, a human way of holding people back. And the church's response is, we've got another idea. We've got another idea. We can partner with God's kingdom to bring freedom to Peter, the prisoner. The prison and the prayer are being compared here to each other. And I just want you to follow me a minute because I think this is important for us. Uh, I, I think often we like to think first about what I can do to solve something. And then maybe I'll include other people. 
And then if I still don't have a good idea, maybe then I'll ask God to help. And, and I think we need to see that to be prayer driven, we need to flip that completely upside down where we're not seeking primarily human solutions, but we're chasing after God-sized partnership in the kingdom. They go to pray. You see, the, the, the reason these are connected, the prison and, and prayer, is because prisons in, in all cultures and all places, these are just signs of a sinful world. They're temporary solutions. Even, even the most generous light of a prison, a prison uh, they're there to keep order, to enforce a certain moral or ethical standard at the end of the day, right? Even the best case scenario, of, even if a prison is functioning per- perfectly and it's only arresting and putting in prisons the appropriate people and there's never a mistake, even then it's still a sign of an unjust broken world because people are in there in the first place. There's people that are living in brokenness because they're choosing to act in the way that they are that is landing them in prison. But prisons can also be places of incredible prejudice, just like Herod used. Wow, these people really like that I put these other people in prison. I'm going to do more of that. And throughout history, cultures have done that too. Prisons are a great example of a human system that's kind of the best we can do. And I'm not saying get rid of prisons like these are worldly things that just kind of exist in the world. But I'm saying, man, that stands in a sharp contrast to a very non-human solution the kingdom of God. When we have brokenness in our society, we turn to things like prison to help deal with issues of injustice. Or we turn to uh, economic uh, hope in order to deal with issues in society. If someone's sick, we, we turn to medicine. If someone has a brokenness in their family or their relationships, we turn to therapy. None of which are bad and all of which can be helpful in different ways. Uh, But if we put our ultimate human hope as in this is going to solve it, if we just fix this, it will be better, then we're missing the reality that broken, sinful human beings made all these things in the first place. And instead, we as the church are called to partner with God to see miraculous things happen that don't fit the script in any way. Let me give you an example here. There's a story from an Alliance church out in uh, Sacramento, California, and, and two different churches, Alliance churches, were called to a specific neighborhood. Uh, very, very high crime rate in Sacramento. Uh, there were, you know, many, many arrests every night. One person described it as a carnival of arrests. It, it was an absolute uh, crazy, rough neighborhood. And these two, two Alliance churches felt called into that space because they felt like there was an opportunity to partner with the kingdom of God through prayer. And this is what's amazing because they didn't necessarily focus on advocating for more education or more welfare or or better law enforcement or anything like that. They just went into this neighborhood and began to pray. And and after a very short amount of time, many of them uh, actually moved into this neighborhood to live there. Because they believed that there was an opportunity not to seek a human solution, but to partner with the kingdom. And so they began to pray, and they went on prayer walks every single night in this neighborhood. And they prayed and prayed, and at one point this woman was giving them a hard time. Why are you people walking around our neighborhood all the time? They They told her what they were there to do, and she's like, well, I'm sick. Can you pray for me? And she got healed. 
It was amazing. But that's not where the story ends. They kept praying and praying. And within a couple years, uh, the local newspapers started to report something that was really startling to them. For the entire year of 2013 to 2014, there was one arrest for any kind of violent offense in that entire neighborhood. Where it had been a string of homicides and domestic abuse cases and an on and on list, all of a sudden, in one year, there was one assault charge and arrest in that neighborhood. And no one could explain what happened. The, the neighborhood had been completely transformed and a church began to flourish there as the presence of God was being invited to that space. Now, I know your brains are trying to wrap your heads around what the heck actually happened there. What really happened? People partnered with God in prayer. You know, no, 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 what, what really happened there though? I'm telling you what really happened there. God's math doesn't make sense to us, my friends. And, and when God gets involved, when we stop going, well, what if we tried this? And what if we tried this solution and this solution? When we start to get God's perspective and say, well, what if we did kingdom partnership here? What if we prayed and, and, and we're contending for God to be present in this place to see real reconciliation and real healing and, and real stuff, not just the, the stuff that humans try their best to do. What if we see God do a work here? What could happen? There's story after story of different communities and towns around the world when revival has broken out in that place. Uh, the police stations literally laid off their, their police force. There's no crime. There's, there's literally nothing for them to do. This, this very neighborhood in Sacramento began to be described by the police as very boring. There's nothing going on there. We don't really do much there. All because people decided, I'm not going to seek human solutions. We're not going to do that. We're going to do something different. We're going to partner with the kingdom of God in prayer. That's why I love that verse. Peter's in prison, but the church prayed very earnestly. Because the church knew then, as is true for us now, that when we partner with the kingdom, when we pray, when we invite Jesus' will to be done, Stuff happens that we just don't have a category for. I could tell you so many stories about how God has done that, but for the sake of time, I will move on. But I want you to hear this, that, man, if we're chasing human solutions and keep trying to be practical, we're going to miss what God wants to do. We're going to miss the opportunity to partner with a kingdom change in a neighborhood. I, I ser I'll say this one last thing. I, I serve on a, a committee here in town, and I, I love the work we do, especially focused on drug education and substance abuse prevention for, for young people. Uh, but man, there are so many programs, programs out there, government-funded programs, privately-funded programs, all these programs that are measurement-based, and they're doing incredible work, and, these, and some of these programs are incredible. Keep the programs going. We need this kind of stuff, too. But, man, I just find myself sometimes in these meetings just longing for a people who would say, let's just put this aside for a little bit, and, and what could it look like to partner with God in prayer to see his kingdom come here in West Milford? What would change if people began to regularly go drive up and down Route 23 just to pray over it? They call it the heroin highway sometimes. What would change if 
people were present, like with this open gym that we're starting. Pray for the church to be present with young people in the community. Young people who a lot of times don't see a vision and a path out of West Milford if they're not super into music or sports. They, they find themselves often just having a party in the woods. Some of you who grew up in West Milford know exactly what I'm talking about. But what could happen if we didn't just create another event or another program or another thing to distract kids and entertain them? But what could happen if God's presence came because people were praying to partner with him? So if we're going to be prayer-driven, we need to be people that are not seeking human solutions but posturing ourselves for kingdom partnership. But second, prayer, if it's going to be, if we're going to be prayer-driven, we have to be anchored in community. Prayer is the anchor of community. Because I love this, verse 12. Peter gets out of prison. He's on his way out of here. And he goes to this house where it says many were gathered for prayer. This is really important. There weren't just these Christians scattered in their own homes praying. They were gathered together praying, seeking for God to do something and answer in this situation. This is the way that Jesus taught them how to do prayer and how to see God do stuff in the community. This is how God taught them to pray. Jesus taught them to pray in Matthew 18. Jesus begins to explain to them that when you pray, if you're in agreement with my Father, whatever you, this is the language Jesus uses, whatever you bind, whatever you don't permit on earth won't be permitted in heaven. And whatever you do permit, whatever you do allow when you're praying, whatever you're allowing to happen on on earth is gonna also be allowed in heaven. And Jesus is trying to give them this picture that when you're partnering with the kingdom, you start praying for God's will to be done in specific ways. And he's saying, God's going to do that. God's going to release that when it's in line with his will. But then Jesus says this. He says, when two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there with you. And so Jesus isn't just saying, when you go and do this by yourself, you're releasing the kingdom. He says, no, when two or three of you, when there's community gathered in agreement. Someone said said, uh, earlier when we were saying, what is prayer? To be in sync or alignment. That alignment, that in sync happens when it's not just a person individually praying, but when the community of believers says, we won't stand for this anymore. Lord Jesus, we need your will to be done. There's something different when I just by myself am praying, and I'm not saying don't pray by yourself, but there's something different that happens when we're praying intentionally as a community. I, I would say fairly, if it would be fairly accurate to depict everyone's definition of prayer. They were kind of thinking about them personally, right? As individuals. That's how we're, we're Westerners, we're Americans. Like we are culturally, we assume the individual is kind of what we're working with. And so we're always thinking individually. How do I pray individually? How do I follow Jesus individually? And what the scriptures are teaching us is we gotta get away from that because this life and especially prayer is meant to be lived in community. And, and if we're gonna see God do stuff, if we're gonna see him show up where two or three are gathered and whatever's bound on earth is bound in heaven, whatever's released on earth is released in heaven, if we're gonna see that kind of stuff happen, it happens in the context of a community that's wrestling together through the stuff of life. 
What's interesting is uh, the, some of the data out there today it shows that uh, a very, very high number of Christians pray that believe God is real, something like 90%. Something like 90%. If they, 100%, this is like a Pew Research study. If God's real, how often do you pray? 90, something like 90% said like at least once a day. At least once a day. That same group of people when asked, how often do you gather with other believers? Only 60%, like 59% said at least once a week. So there's a disparity between what, how often we think we should pray and how often we think we should be in community. And now the, my point in saying this all, is, and I've just become personally like very, my eyes have been open to this very deeply over the last like couple of months in particular, is, is that, man, I think that we're missing a level of effectiveness in our prayer life if it's just by ourselves. I wonder what kind of answers to prayer God is waiting to answer when the church is gathered together in agreement. Wow, you've got this issue going on in your family? Let's all pray for that together right now. Let's pray that God's will's done. And as a matter of fact, can we commit to every week when our life group meets or whenever it is, we're gonna pray for that for five minutes, three minutes. We're just gonna take a minute to pray for that. And would you let us know if there's any update throughout the week? Because we want to we be in this with you. Because where two or three are gathered, Jesus is there. And kingdom opportunities, kingdom miracles, kingdom solutions are getting released. That can't happen if we're just trying to pray on our own. I love this quote from, from David, uh, David Fritsch, who, who write, wrote a book called Enthroned. He said, when we gather, talking about the church, whenever the church gathers together for worship or for prayer, regardless of the size, he says, we convene the very court of heaven on earth. Our prayer gatherings are the most important and powerful meetings in our city. You ever think about gathering with a couple other believers that way? This is the most important meeting happening in West Milford right now. I don't mean this particular gathering, but I just mean any time two or three believers are gathered in Jesus' name to pray, it is the most important meeting happening in the entire town. Have you ever thought about that? Now, that's not a big, uh, we're really important. That's not a big smug thing, but it's, it's to give us the reality of what God is doing in that. Give us an understanding of what God's up to. And finally, prayer is anchored in community. Prayer is something that we create a posture for, for kingdom partnership. And then the last thing to observe here is that prayer is a reflex of dependency. It's a reflex of our dependency. I love that same verse, verse 12 he went to the house of Mary. Now, my question when I read this is, how on earth did Peter know they were going to be at Mary's house? Did he get in the group chat and be like, hey, where are you guys hanging out at? My schedule opened up. Are you guys around? You won't believe what just happened to me. Can everyone get together? He didn't have to ask. He didn't have to like get the word out, gather everyone together. They were already gathering now, this is important because he was in prison, right? And they're praying for him. So we can read this and think they convened a prayer meeting when Peter went into prison. 
they were probably doing this all the time anyway. And so when Peter's issue came along, all right, here we go. This is, this is what we're praying into right now. So Peter didn't have to guess at what was going on or try and go figure out how, I, how do I gather everyone. He knew they would be doing this because he knew that this was a community that was dependent on God to work. And so they created this reflex that we just pray because we're dependent on God. Peter knew that this was a regular habit. And he knew that prayer wasn't just something they did when it was urgent or an emergency. They lived in a dependence on needing God in their lives. Paul E. Miller says this about prayer. He says, we don't need self-discipline to pray continuously. We just need to be poor in spirit. I saw that quote, a pastor friend of mine posted that, and I was convicted. Because if I'm honest, I pray most fervently when it feels urgent. Or, or I force myself to uh, be dependent on God. I gotta be more disciplined with my prayer life. And like those of you who've done emotionally healthy spirituality, right? I've got my daily office, like twice a day. I'm, I'm in prayer and silence and scripture and all good. Like don't stop doing those things. But man, it is really different when I'm praying out of dependency than just out of a discipline. And often I, I just, I find myself needing to strip away all of the stuff in my life that makes me think that I'm doing better than I am so that I can recognize that I'm poor in spirit. This is what Jesus said, blessed are the poor, or poor in spirit as Luke puts it, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. How do we, this, this, this I think is a word of hope for some of us because we're so overwhelmed when we think about how am I going to add this to my life now? How do I add praying to my life, praying in my life, praying with people, getting, this is going to involve a lot of moving parts and everything. Like, yeah, if we think about it like a discipline that we've got to force into the routines of our life, it's going to be really hard. It's really hard. It's overwhelming. But if you can learn to recognize your dependence, your need, that you too are poor in spirit. You're like, oh, uh-oh. You can begin to recognize the needs of your friends, of your family, of your community, your life group. You're gonna find really quickly, I, I, this is the only thing I can do right now because I have no solutions. Can we learn how instead of forcing a discipline of prayer in our lives, can we learn how to nurture dependency on Jesus? It's prayer. We need it to be a posture of kingdom partnering, not something where we're seeking human solutions. I've got a lot of good ideas, but they can't change an entire neighborhood like prayer does. We gotta think of prayer as something that's anchored in community. We do this in agreement together. And this is significant. When we are praying together in agreement for God's will to be done, man, things change. And prayer is the reflex of dependency. We've gotta become poor in spirit. People who are dependent on Jesus for our daily needs.
That's why Jesus said to whenever you pray, some scholars actually say the Lord's Prayer is not just meant to be pray in this way. It actually is when you pray, recite this prayer. And there's a part in there that says, give us today our daily bread. Man, that level of dependence. Jesus, will you provide today food for my family, food for me to eat? I mean, honestly, you go to the grocery store these days, we're kind of praying that already. The inflation's getting insane. Especially if you get like teenagers in the house, it's terrifying. Give us this day our daily bread. Do you hear the dependency in that prayer? Lord, we need you. We need you. The we, not I need you, we need you. I just want to close with this story. Uh, pastor, friend of mine, well, let me ask this question first. What, what will it look like for you in these three areas? What will it look like for you to partner with us as a church community? What will it look like for us to become a prayer-driven church? What are you challenged by from what you hear today? What do you need to adjust? What's Jesus inviting you into? Seriously, what's he inviting you into? Let me just close with this story as you're thinking about that. Uh, Charles Galbraith, he's a pastor in our denomination in, in um, Brooklyn. Got a lot of CMA stories this morning. Um, he's a pastor in Brooklyn, and uh, towards the beginning of when he was, he was pastoring there, he, he told the story about um, there was a, a black man that was gunned down in Brooklyn in, in the neighborhood where their church was. And this, this community is uh, pretty significantly impacted by a lot of gun violence. And so there's a lot of tension at this moment. Uh, there were protesters on one side, the police on the others. And this was years, actually, before, uh, before uh, George Floyd. This was years before anything like that. And this was just happening in this community. And, and there was a lot of tension starting to mount between these two sides. And it was clearly going to spill over. Rocks were being picked up by protesters. The police are getting ready. They're digging in their heels. And, and Charles and some other pastors from the community, they ran down to where this was happening. And they literally stood. Talk about in a moment of conflict and tension. Like, well, maybe we'll go in when it's a little safer after the dust settles. They went in into the middle of the conflict and tension between the protesters and the police. And they're standing there going, I don't know what to do. And they're scratching their head and they're trying to think of solutions and think of like how they can start talking people down. And then one of the pastors among them, Charles says, just dropped to his face and his knees in the middle of the street. And he just began to cry out to God. Jesus, we need your kingdom to come right now. We need your peace on this street right now. And then all the pastors started to pray right there in the middle of that street as these two sides are yelling at each other. And slowly as they prayed, the temperature on the street lowered. People began to put their rocks down. People began to step away, speak quieter, and actually conversations started to emerge between police and protesters as they listened to each other. As the people of the community grieved and cried out their, their pain and yet another life taken because of the guns that are on the streets there. And this actually has led to, we don't even have time to go into these stories, but it's led to a whole ministry that these churches have partnered with there to, to take guns off the street, to help people get jobs and all sorts of things. It's created incredible opportunities where practical needs get met, but it started in prayer. 
it started with people stepping into stupid situations, chaotic situations where you're like, how on earth are we going to do, do something about this? And then realizing, oh, right, we can't do anything about this. And they began to agree together in prayer for God's kingdom to come, for his will to be done on that street. Plant family, can we have that kind of posture of prayer in our community? Do you want to have that kind of posture of prayer where we enter into the tensions, enter into the conflicts, enter into the the things we need to wrestle through where we're not sure we know what's going on exactly? Emotions might be high even for us. But can we together, even just with two or three or with your life group or whoever, just begin to say, let's make space for Jesus to come into this situation as we pray. Can we become poor in spirit, dependent on him? So I'll ask the question again, what will it look like for us to become a prayer-driven church? How do you need to be challenged to move forward in this? A change maybe in, in your posture from human solutions toward kingdom partnership. A change in practicing prayer from primarily alone to being anchored in community. Perhaps a change from praying out of a place of discipline to making it a reflex of your dependency. So what we're going to do as we've just been doing during this series is we're going to take just a few moments. Lindsay, if you want to come up, we're going to take a few moments to prepare our hearts for communion. I believe even with something like this, there, there's opportunity for each of us uh, to need to, to repent. Maybe we've thought about prayer as kind of the last resort. Maybe we've thought about prayer as uh, something that's more individual than primarily corporate and community-based. Or maybe we've, we've been making this prayer thing too much about us, too much about the discipline, and not enough about being poor in spirit. So we're going to just spend a couple minutes, see how the Holy Spirit might be leading you to prepare your heart for communion, to repent. The Apostle Paul instructs us in in Corinthians to examine ourselves before we come to the table of the Lord to see how he wants us to be prepared, how Jesus is convicting each of us and inviting us to repentance. So as it comes to this prayer, would would you consider that for a moment? And let's prepare our hearts for taking communion together. Let's just wait on him for a few moments before we continue.
participate in communion and you did not receive uh, communion elements, you can just put your hand up. Um, Matt's in the back. He'll, he'll just look for your hand. If you just keep your hand up nice and high until he finds you, he'll bring some communion around. Thanks, Matt. Let's prepare to take communion together as we've been examining ourselves. First Corinthians 11, Paul writes, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. same way he continues he took the cup of wine after supper saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Would you stand with me as we close in worship? Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources, theplantchurch.org.